Hi, and welcome to the Unashamedly Human Podcast, a podcast created to help you get out of your head and into your life. That is, if you want to have more fun, freedom, happiness, peace of mind, and success whilst squeezing the juice out of every area of your life. Join Jackie Ford every Thursday and listen in to her warm Scottish tones, wise heart and wonderful sense of humour as she interviews guests and discusses what it means to be unashamedly human. Hi everyone and welcome to the Unashamedly Human podcast. My name is Jackie Ford and I am a coach, mentor and trainer living in Scotland and working globally. This week I wanted to create a podcast that might help soothe someone's soul, that might help someone be able to relax more than they have been over the last couple of weeks as we go through this very extraordinary time in our lives. I wanted to do this by sharing a story of what's happened to me given all the years I've been coaching and all the years I've been learning about my human experience. I wanted to share a personal story and I also wanted to share some of my clients' stories of what's been happening to them. But first of all, I want to start off with a quote. A quote from a man who's been my greatest mentor. His name is Sidney Banks. And this quote in particular has never been so relevant in all of my lifetime. He says, if the only thing people learn is not to be afraid of their own experience, that alone will change the world. Can you hear that? Can you hear what he's pointing to? If so, that's great. If not, please keep listening. I have been incredibly busy over the last month or so. Um, One of my daughters, my eldest daughter, Megan, is pregnant and the baby's due um, at the beginning of May. So we have been very, very busy as a family um, getting organised for the baby shower. And there was all the organisation of, you know, sort of hiring a house, making sure that we had, you know, all the presents and the gifts for the baby, her sisters organising the games, making sure there was food and drink, organising ourselves to decamp from our house to another house for the weekend. And this was a couple of weeks ago. I just wanted her to have the best baby shower ever. So we kind of knew about the virus, but at that point it was in our consciousness, but it wasn't overpowering our consciousness in any way. So we had the most beautiful baby shower, wonderful. It was really gorgeous to have family and friends there and and, and Megan thoroughly enjoyed it. And when we came home, we started to recognise that people were starting to panic, panic about this um, virus and panic about making sure they had enough food, that they had enough toilet rolls, that they had enough medicines, 
So they were self-preparing and I, I don't blame anybody at all for, for making sure that they and their family are okay. I have no problem with that at all. But my daughters, two of them live up in Glasgow and they had found that they had gone out to shop and there was just nothing left in the shops. So I decided that down here where I live in the southwest coast of Scotland, the shops still had lots of food. The panic hadn't kind of kicked in by this point. And I went and did a whole load of shopping. My trolley was extremely full, fuller than it would have been, but I was shopping for five people. So in the days when the kids lived at home, that was my normal trolley full of, 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 of food. And as I was going through the store, picking up things for my daughters, picking up things for Jerry and I, I was very conscious of the judgment both quiet and verbal judgment I was receiving from older people in the store. There was a, a deal on with butter, for instance, and it was buy two butters for five pounds. So I'm buying for five people. And I took advantage of buy two, get two free wasn't a problem. That's for three, four households. And as I picked up the butter, an older woman came up to me and she said, um, it's people like you that are causing a problem with panic buying. <laughs> and I said to her, I'm not actually panic buying. I'm buying for myself and my three daughters. Uh, we all live in different houses and they're having difficulty getting a hold of simple items. And she turned round to me and she said, I hope it goes out of date before you get to use it. And I just walked away because I knew where this woman's level of consciousness was. And to be fair, there was plenty of butter there. And as I walked around the store, and sort of made my way towards the, the till, I heard a man saying to his wife, look how full that fat bitch's trolley is. Now, I'm a curvy woman. <laughs> I love my curves. And I thought, wow, wow, where is that man's level of consciousness? And I turned and I smiled at him. There wasn't anything else for me to say. And honestly, before I came across this understanding that I share, that would have killed me. That comment would have absolutely destroyed me about how someone could speak so ill of me and they don't even know who I am. And there was the key. That man doesn't know who I am. That man didn't know what I was doing. That man did not know that he was caught up in his intellect, that he was caught up in his personal ego. And all I felt was compassion. And when I told my daughters this story later on that day, when I, you know, I gave them, I mean, basically it was like a bag and a half of food each. It wasn't huge. 
they were like, oh my God, mum, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. And I said, I didn't go through anything. <laughs> I genuinely didn't go through anything because what these people think of me has absolutely nothing to do with me. Nothing. I was shopping for you as other people presently are shopping for family and friends and neighbours. People who have to self-isolate. I said, it doesn't bother me what you said. Really don't care. And they were saying, oh, mum, you're such a strong woman. I'm, I'm not a strong woman. I'm a woman who understands where her experience is coming from. In the main. <laughs> because there are times I haven't a bloody clue. And I get lost. And I'm going to share a story about that later. Jerry and I have chosen to self-isolate. Not because we have the virus. Because we choose not to put ourselves at risk and not to put other people at risk. Jerry takes a medication that they've said... Um, puts him in the vulnerable category. It's a blood pressure medication, a simple medication, but it has um, properties that the virus likes and uses to infiltrate more cells in the body. So we're not going to take any chances. We are going to just take it easy. We have our shopping being delivered to us via local farms, we're very, very, very lucky, and I understand that because, you know, e even down here in the country, I, I can't get. There's only one shop that you know, big shop, Asda, that actually does home deliveries, and and I can't get a delivery for about three or four weeks, and that's okay. We'll be fine. It'll be okay. So immediately after the baby shower, I just went into this this mama mode, and I know that all you mums and dads listening will understand this. We have these precious human beings that we've been looking after for all of our lives and we want to keep them safe and we want to keep our parents safe. And I just went into this space where I felt I needed to keep my kids safe. The last time there was an epidemic of anything, it was swine flu and the girls were all living with us. So I guess there was more of an element I felt of control that I could look after them more than I can now, than now that they're all living their own lives in their own apartments and, and houses. So I became a bit hypervigilant to make sure they had what they needed. And for the moment they do, they're good. They've figured out their own way. And it was beautiful for me as a mum to see that that they have their own wisdom, that they can find ways to look after themselves, that they can find ways to protect themselves too. So four days into our isolation, our self-isolation, I started to develop symptoms. I had a sore throat and a tickly cough. I was off my foot and I had sort of quite, quite disturbing GI symptoms. But I just carried on. We were self-isolating anyway. It wasn't, wasn't a problem. I was drinking lots of water and making sure I was hydrated. I was, you know, sucking in throat lozenges. And for the most part, I felt okay. 
On Monday, however, something different happened that I haven't experienced since I went into hospital many, many years ago after miscarrying a child at 12 weeks gestation. I had just finished speaking to one of my clients and I was sitting at my desk and all of a sudden my chest felt really tight. I was really dizzy and incredibly lightheaded. I couldn't breathe. I immediately stood up and breathed deeply and walked around. I went into the garden and just sat. But I didn't feel any better. So I came back in the house and I went upstairs and I packed a bag. <laughs> I packed a bag just in case I needed to go into hospital. <laughs> Mainly because I didn't trust that Jerry would have me looking <laughs> the way I would want to look in hospital. I had a feeling I'd be all mismatched. So once my bag was packed, I brought it downstairs. All the while, my heart was pounding. I felt breathless. I was so lightheaded that I walked outside again to breathe deeply. And I could feel this sense of panic kick in. My body was weak. And I got a feeling that I'd had earlier on this year when I was in LA, when I had this Horrid cough, temperature, couldn't sleep, just felt awful. And think, you know, in, in hindsight, I think I had the virus back then. But even though I was consciously not thinking about all of my symptoms, I had gone into a panic attack. I knew. That I was off my grounding. Absolutely knew that I was way off my grounding. So I knew immediately that I needed to lay down and I started to breathe in and out very deeply and guided myself into a deep meditative state where wisdom kept guiding me to do the next thing. I realised that I had been looking after everybody else except myself. I was tired. I was hyper-vigilant with COVID updates and making sure our girls were safe. It was all I was thinking about. And unconsciously, I was incredibly stressed out. I didn't see that that was what was happening to me until my body told me to slow down. And that's been a pattern throughout my whole life, that consciously I often don't see that I'm doing too much or I'm overwhelmed, but I get these signals in my body. My stomach becomes sore. I maybe get a headache. I feel a bit weak. My body is speaking to me, telling me something new. And as I lay in the couch, I started to see that I can have these thoughts. But these thoughts don't have to have me. And that it's okay for me to feel scared. 
and to let these feelings and emotions flow through me. It was such a relief to just cry. Acknowledge what I was feeling. I still don't feel completely well. In fact, how I am feeling is reminding me again of how I felt when I was in Ellie in January. But you see, when I was in Ellie in January, I didn't put a label on anything that was happening. I just thought, you know, hey, I'm, I'm not well. Perhaps I've caught a cold or the flu. There was no other story attached to that. And I recognised that the sore throat and the other symptoms that I was having, now, I had attached a huge story to. And I wasn't living in the now. I'd all of a sudden travelled to the future and I was imagining an outcome that hadn't happened and probably wouldn't happen. And all of this was happening unconsciously. And the feeling of tightness, I was trying to fix it, trying to sort it, when all I needed to do was understand my human psychological experience. Thoughts flow. 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day will flow through me as a human being. Those thoughts are transient. Those thoughts are neutral. They don't have meaning unless I give them meaning. Those thoughts are impersonal. They just don't belong to me unless I choose to make them belong to me by focusing in on them. I was tired because of the preceding couple of weeks where I'd just been so busy that naturally I had fallen into a lower state of consciousness. So I was not aware. I just simply wasn't aware of my, my human experience. I wasn't aware of what was happening to me until my body told me to slow down. So my observations of this whole thing, I was just out of whack in the moment. I, I just was off of my, my grounding and I was too invested in my story of self. I needed to slow down and take it easy. I needed to listen to my body more. I know what it feels like when I'm having anxious thoughts and I was being given a reminder because it's been a long time since I felt that feeling. I recognised that I needed to look at the nature of thought and not the content of what I was thinking. And I mentioned earlier, the nature of thought. Thought is something that passes without us having to do anything. Versus the content of what I was thinking. Thinking that I had the virus, thinking that I was going to end up in hospital, thinking I was going to give it to my husband who's in one of the vulnerable groups. Feeling guilty about all of that. 
and the content in this case frightened me. The key in all of this is awareness. Awareness of what's happening in each and every moment. And that is a never-ending process. We are constantly creating our own experience. And we have this gorgeous ability to create consciously and unconsciously. And being aware of being in a different feeling gives us an opportunity to see what's happening. As Sid says in The Missing Link, our feelings are a barometer of our thinking. Each and all of us are free to create from both the ego and the impersonal self. And these emotions that I've been describing to you are our guidance system, as Sid says. What was super key for me this time was being aware of my fear and seeing that I didn't need to judge my experience or try to get myself into a deeper space of calm. And when I did that, I cared less about what I was thinking in the moment. And my heart filled and I began to cry. And in that moment, I was able to let go of all the thoughts and feelings that I had been carrying, consciously or unconsciously, in my body. Now I know that each and all of you have your own story about what's going on in the world right now. And I know each and all of you will keep yourself safe and well. It's incredibly important at this time that we do that and that we look after one another and that we don't judge how other people are experiencing their life as they shop and go about their business. My daughter Megan is due to have her baby at the beginning of May. And we've been talking every day. I've been talking to all of my daughters every day via, via Zoom. And we've been having the most beautiful, deep, connected conversations about life. And I'm just so grateful, so grateful for technology that we can do that. Megan's decorating the nursery getting things ready for the baby coming. All of her antenatal classes have been cancelled. She's been told that she's only allowed one birth partner at the, the birth of the baby. And that birth partner has to have been self-isolating for 20 days. And if they haven't, then they can't come in to the hospital to witness the birth. All being well, she'll be released from hospital the next day. And while she's in hospital, there have to be no visitors. I completely understand this. Completely understand this. 
they're trying to keep everyone, staff, mothers, babies, doctors, healthy and well. And as I was speaking to Megan, I said, you know, love, when this baby's born, it's likely we're not going to be able to see the baby for, for quite a while. And she started to cry and she said, that's not what I wanted. I want you to, to be there and to help. And I said, "Han, it's not what I want either. And, and I started to cry too. It's a first grandchild. But as I talked to her, I reminded her that she's safe. The baby's growing. The hospital are doing everything they can to keep the environment safe for you to go in and have your baby. We will see this baby when we're meant to see this baby. And again, so grateful for technology because it means I'll get to see the little pop-out on FaceTime or, you know, some other platform. I won't be able to hold her for a while, probably. And that's okay. That's okay because that's keeping her safe and it's keeping Megan safe. When I start to think, and this is what I explained to Megan, when I start to think that it's not fair and it's not the experience I wanted to have from my first grandchild and it's not the experience I wanted to have from my daughter and that I want to hold this little baby when it's born, that's when I suffer. That's when I cry. That's when I get upset. Because I'm looking at a future reality that isn't real. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But when I'm in the now, I know that everything's perfect. Everything is the way it's meant to be. And it reminded me of a story that I shared with Megan that I heard Eckhart Tolle talking about. And he was talking about um, a young lady in a village who became pregnant. And the girl's father was so upset that she'd become pregnant that he demanded to know who the father was. And the girl was so frightened. She didn't want to tell her father who the real father of the child was because she was scared of, of the repercussions for this young man. So she told her father that the, the father of her child was a Buddhist monk who lived in, um, in further up in the village. And her father was so angry that he, he went up to see the Buddhist monk and he, he shouted at him and said, how dare you get my daughter pregnant? This is so unfair. She's not married. This is what's going on. And after about 20 minutes of him ranting, the Buddhist monk just turned around to him from the monastery and he just said, is that so? And he had nothing else to say. 
So the young girl raised her child with her father in the village. And when the child reached 18 years old, the daughter told her father who the father of her child actually was. And her father felt so guilty about how he had spoken to the Buddhist monk that he went back up to the monastery and he apologised. He threw himself at the monk's feet and apologised for all the aggression and indignation and way that he had treated the monk all those years ago. And the monk just turned around to him and said, is that so? Now, I remember the first time that I heard that story. I couldn't stop crying. Because it showed me how often I fight against what is. Life is unfolding the way that life is meant to unfold. And there are times, and there were more times in the past, when I fought against that. And that's when I suffered. Whatever is happening in the world right now is an incredible opportunity for each and all of us to reset. To slow down. To become more conscious of how each and all of us are creating our experience in the moment. To love one another, to be kind to one another, and to share what you know with other people. It's time for people that are coaches or trainers or mothers or daughters or fathers to share this understanding with other people to help them understand that their circumstances are not creating their experience of life that's an inside job I'm sending you all my love. I hope you all stay safe. Please stay safe. Look after yourselves. Look after anybody else that you feel you can look after. And I'll speak to you guys next week. All my love, Jackie.